Hey there, it's Ben. This week, we're trying something a little different on the show by taking a failed idea of mine and trying to figure out ways to make it work. Let us know how this works for you on Twitter, Facebook, or through email. The feedback is going to help us with a few other ideas that we've got percolating. I do want to give a thanks to everyone who's spreading the word about the show through things like Follow Fridays and mentioning us in RPG discussions, and also leaving reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. All things like that help out a huge bit. And finally, I'm going to give a big shout out to those who are able to help us out on Patreon to help with the big bills when they do come in. You can be like them at patreon.com slash way. Thank you, and now on to the show. The sensors resolve after being overcome by the static shock of a nebula. I swear there was a shape on the screen before it fuzzes again. Then, in the distance for one brief second, it's clear, and there's a distinct, brilliant white wedge fading into the swirling clouds. Ben, I really, really think we should turn around. You saw what this thing did to the MC-30 frigate on our way in. As Ben continues to fly the purgle deeper into the dense gases of the nebula. Sensors show the nebula is highly volatile. I mean, one bad shot from the turbo lasers and... This is going to be a tense tale from the Hydean Way. I'm your host, Ben Yindel. With special guest, Christine Chester. This week, we are going to be discussing an adventure I've tried to run for, well, actually some of you. It is, what I'm starting to realize, is a campaign concept that I keep on trying to fit into a four-hour adventure. I've tried this out once at Gamer Nation Con 4. And for a first run for a relatively improvised campaign, it wasn't horrible. People seemed to have fun. And, well, I was able to get the first character kill of the convention. (laughs) It was a double despair. He was trying to blow up a base. and Uh, Yeah, I just remember hearing the story of that. And then also you say it with such pride. It could have been a thing. But then that year was the first year where they didn't have an award for killing off a character. Ah, blast. Or I was mildly disappointed. I tried reworking it a bit, fiddling with it a bit, and then giving it as a backer award for our $5 plus Patreon backers for a quarterly game. The adventure itself was born out of us on Tales talking about the Hunt for Red October. In Hunt for Red October, there's this huge cat and mouse game going on. What's going on with the ship? Is it a friend or foe? It's this super high-tech ship, and can we capture it? Do we have to destroy it? It has this real sort of meat to it. And it's got a whole bunch of about navigation, knowing what the terrain is. So doing a lot of stuff in space that most people wouldn't think of, or at least I don't normally think of. Okay, I'm not quite as big of a Trekkie as I am a Star Wars fan, but I do keep going back to the Wrath of Khan fight in the Mutara Nebula, Mm -hmm. where you've got, again, submarines floating around. Well, that or um, I think it's Balance of Terror from the original series against the Romulans, which is another beautiful submarine fight where what's more important than the weapons of the ship is their ability to gather intelligence and pinpoint one another's locations. Yeah, with that concept was coming back to, since in my mind, two-thirds of Star Wars comes back to World War II for combat is the sinking of the Bismarck and 
the almost happenstance way that it happened, with biplanes scoring extremely low percentage chance hits on the Bismarck and then just pounding the thing into nothingness. Sort of merging all three of these things, I tried to come up with a scenario that, okay, well, I could do with a large amount of people. So, like a convention setting where I could have six people sit down and I've got a character for everyone. I went with a bridge crew. Like, this is the head pilot. This is the weapons officer. This is sensors. This is the scanner person. And I've got the captain and the XO because, well, that seemed like an idea. But the only Star Trek position that I don't have is a doctor because I didn't expect it to be that long of a campaign. Yeah, that might be different, though, if you were to expand on that idea. Exactly. Did you bring up the fact that you ran this for backers as well? Yes. Uh, Patreon backers as a as an adventure of which I did take part in. I was the pilot of said <laughs> ship. Like, we didn't really leave our posts during the course of the four-hour scenario we were very much like this is you know this is the area we're gonna run we're gonna do our thing but in a longer campaign it would be interesting to get a little bit more of that perhaps trek vibe where you sometimes have to send the away team to gather information off of perhaps let's say one of the targets that this mysterious imperial ship took out or when you're rescuing survivors from one of them or things of that nature, or you find a weird space station in the middle of a nebula, and you want to go take a closer look at that. <laughs> and actually go over instead of, can I go over? Should I just try and blow it up? Uh, to vary things up a little bit more and have somebody or people who have some roles that are extend beyond their console on the bridge. Now that I kind of think on it, it's also in a lot of ways really early Battlestar Galactica, the reboot yeah. that's Star Trek related. And also very much the Zindi arc of Enterprise. Like, I, I know the Enterprise example better than I know the Battlestar Galactica one. And it's perhaps a little bit more apt where you've got, you know, the Enterprise looking for this secret super weapon. And the whole season is about gathering intelligence and trying to figure out, like, tr- tracing back where were these pieces built? What is this thing even capable of? How large is it? Mm-hmm. And so on and so forth while they're in hostile enemy territory. Now that I think on it, there's a huge amount of story there to be had. It's just how I had been presenting it was kind of horrible. It was not exactly conducive to actually getting the entire story behind it. That's the thing with the con game or, you know, your your four-hour session is, at the end of the day, the scenario kind of got boiled down to we're one capital ship fighting another one. And the special aspects to it were kind of lost because we just didn't... We didn't have the same emphasis on the intelligence gathering. The capital ship combat then could have had so much more effect by having intelligence on the ship, knowing what the captain of the other ship was, knowing whether you could actually try and get that captain to defect, attempting to do that. Knowing if there's a weakness in the weapon that could be exploited. Maybe one of those high-tech gizmos like a stealth field also has you know some <laughs> issue. Maybe there's a means for it to be tracked or something, and you can fire a proton torpedo to find it. Yeah, all of those are kind of cool ideas. Well, and this is the reasons why I'm bringing it up now on this episode, is I want to make this work, because I think there's a nugget of a good game there. I'm not quite sure if I'm ever actually going to run this. I kind of hope you do revisit it, because I know this has been an idea you've played around with, and to me, this is this is like one of those ideas that there's too much there 
to be suitable for that four hours. But there's also not so much there in the scope of things for this to be like the year-year-long campaign. This, to me, is like a perfect two, three-month mini-campaign where the campaign's over with, but essentially the the Bismarck, you know, our, our imperial ship here is caught or destroyed or dealt with in some way, but there can be a lot of lead-up to it and a lot of playing around and a lot more getting to know the ship and the characters. Like, I know in the actual adventure module that I have written up, it's really got an intro. It's got a bit of a map for the nebula because the idea that I really like around it is it's a ship that's sort of haunting an area. One of the ideas is at least the myth of Moby Dick. The idea that it's this ship that is literally just hunting an area. And then the rebels get wind that, yes, this is an actual ship. And maybe since it's hunting big ships, maybe it could be worthwhile attempting to take. That could be enough power there to make it worthwhile. Which could be interesting if that's, maybe that's Alliance High Command's orders. You need to capture this ship. And then when you're in the thick of things, do you do that or do you decide just to blow it up? Because that's going to be the <laughs> easiest thing to stay alive. And making it into that kind of decision, heightening that. No, that's a really fun idea of making Alliance High Command in their office on Yevon 4 or on Hoth. It's like, we need this ship. Go get it for us. You are this MC-40 light carrier because, well, it also has a squadron of starfighters to go with it because I thought that was cool. And I also remember back in the old X-Wing days. So I've got fond memories of it. <laughs> it's going up against a maybe not quite Star Destroyer size ship. But something that does kind of outgun it, or at very least mm -hmm. is equal in firepower and ability to absorb damage. Mm -hmm. In the module as is, it's going up against a Vindicator-class cruiser, the base model of the Interdictor. Generally, those are surprisingly a very equal match. So, something that's coming to my mind, and we touched on it a little bit... But if you're going to expand this, you know, into that mini campaign or a longer campaign, mm -hmm. what's, you know, you throw out your pregens or whatever, or you start tweaking on what those roles could be. What do you add? What do you take away? Like, would you add in the doctor? Would you add in your major haze, make equivalent? Would see you have somebody in charge of the starfighters? Having starfighters there, you kind of have to. Mm -hmm. This is where I could see almost a parallel set of adventures going on because you could have an entire player party as the starfighter squadron and an entire player party as like the bridge crew or the main crew to it sort of breaking it off into those ends mm -hmm. having the capital ship and the starfighter scale being two different adventures mm. i'd absolutely go with a doctor i would go with a better version of an intelligence officer, especially yes. now that we have a intelligence style book coming out in the mm -hmm. near-ish future, printers willing. <laughs> in coming up with a convention-ready, table-ready adventure, I was looking at what can everyone do in every scene? Like, there's always going to be someone piloting. There's always going to be a reason to be trying to scan things. There's always going to be someone who's trying to navigate and there's going to be the possibility of having the six, seven bridge positions do something. Although even with there, like I felt like some of them could have been either consolidated or 
Like, I, I love the character I played, but something I realized, when you're flying a capital ship, you don't have as many options, like, just in terms of the piloting thing. Yeah. Rules is written. You can, you can uh, ad-lib a lot more like what we ended up doing. But I definitely think there's something to, like, TNG's way of, uh, you just cycle through with the NPCs for whoever's at the helm. <laughs> there is something about that, yeah. Like, there was character bloat to the adventures written, because I did have, I'm pretty sure I had eight different characters to have yeah. a full-out uh, setting. Where you have the captain and the XO, and the navigator and the pilot, and, like, there was a full compliment. And you're right. That is too many people, and there's no reason for it. Like, the reason for it wasn't purely mechanical, as opposed to a narrative reason, and that was one of the failings of it. Having the sensors operators also being the navigator, like, combining some of those things so that, okay, sure, it makes perfect sense to have the gunner be the gunner, but having someone who's doing the deep scans also then being able to do the navigation and the plotting, that's thematically appropriate. And also could put them in situations where they have to decide between doing one or the other, which is always Ooh. interesting. Something else that came to my mind, like let's say you have your party of five or whatever, and somebody takes the captain, but nobody takes the XO. Well, guess what, Ben? You have NPC fodder right there. Maybe the XO is resentful of the captain, or there's some deeper history. There's something else going on. It's <laughs> You have an opportunity to expand upon like the life of the ship. Who are the other characters that inhabit it? Oh, yes. Or you have a XO that is one of the most preeminent logical people that <laughs> just does not get what's going on with everyone else. Somebody who's by the book, and as we all know, PCs will not be by the book. <laughs> Exactly. Like, that's another great one. It's like, oh, yeah, the book is this. Like, that one would be a fun one, too. Like, especially as an NPC. Like, your your ex, like, Imperial officer who's very used to, like, the rules and regulations, <laughs> and then now they're part of the Alliance, and it's, oh, no. <laughs> oh. And then this provides the opportunity for the players to then mine this resource in their midst of, well, we're hunting an Imperial, and we have an Imperial here who knows the book backwards and forwards. You know, what can you tell us? Like, okay, if you were on that ship, how would you play this? What would be your yeah. tactics? Things like that. That could be fun to do. Because the, the thing about if you're taking something like a Mon Calamari cruiser of any size, it's a city. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, there's so many people aboard and there's so many different rooms aboard a ship like that. Like, even if you never step foot on a planet. You could have so many opportunities for role playing just aboard. True. Yeah. You could have like the the tr like the traitor in your midst or something like that. Maybe somebody's been <laughs> sabotaging the engines, and you're trying to you know have to figure out what you know who it is. But you've got you know a thousand people aboard. How do you organize a search like that? Oh, yeah. No, that works. And oh yes, that that would be fun. I mean, mm -hmm. I just finished <laughs> passing that in my Voyager rewatch. Oh, right. <laughs> the idea of coming up with deeper ways of getting to know... The mission, is we've kind of decided, is the Alliance High Command has said that this cruiser, this light cruiser, and maybe some supporting ships like a couple crawling corvettes or something, is out to hunt this ship, whatever it may be, because it has just mauled up a small torpedo frigate and it just 
overwhelm them before they could get off anything more than a emergency beacon. That's the initial push. But now they're into this nebula and this nebula is much bigger than they thought. Like it's a proper navigational hazard. Mm-hmm. Like you've kind of seen this in Star Trek. We have seen something like this in Star Wars, in Star Wars Rebels season three, where they're trying to skirt through a nebula and the nebula itself is explosive and <laughs> messes around with everyone's sensors. Yeah. If the starfighters go and try and blow, like shoot and shoot poorly, like on a miss, it can cause an explosion that happens that does bad things to your ship. Mm-hmm. And that be the setting. That's sort of the first session going in, trying to get through these almost tubes and narrow passages that are poorly mapped. Which is a really cool setting just to one set starship encounters like that, as well as like you we never really got into just how big that nebula was, but for the purposes of a campaign, there's nothing to stop there being from being all sorts of other things in there. Maybe there is a planet in there. Maybe there's a more efficient hyperspace route that was missed before that the navigator invents because they rolled a double triumph. Maybe there's, you know, we have the space station. You can populate that and really play with it for a little while. Okay, the space station that you've brought up a few times is, like, it is one of the few other parts that are in the module. Well, it got invented at the table at the convention that I played this at. Because, well, they had really cool roles, and I went with it. There's the home base for the ship. Like, the ship itself is out hunting. Well, this is the base where it comes back to. It has a small shipyard to fix itself when it does take damage. I kind of got thinking of the Cold War submarine bases that are hidden, where you have to go... Like Also, I was kind of thinking of like the... James Bond style hidden bases where you go in underwater, rise up and hey look, there's this actual base that you go to, but when you're actually going out, you're all hidden and no one can see what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is where that crew that goes hunting, this is where they come back to. If you find this and actually start exploring it, you can find out things about like the captain and some of the design schematics for it. But you're also going to be a little bit on the clock. Let's say you board that station. Well, when does the ship come back to dock? And who do you leave on the ship in case that happens? Yes. Another idea that occurred to me, you know, you you had this very massive, cool capital ship for us to play with. And depending on what direction you want to go with it, you could even downscale it. You could throw the party on the Nebulon B or even the Krillian Corvette, something where they're just very outclassed and they're not going to win a slugout fight with said Star Destroyer. They've got to find other methods or they need to gather other ships or just do something to turn the tides in their favor. I like that. Or a different disadvantage, let's say you're still on the board the big ship, uh, to again pull Enterprise Season 3 as an example, what if you do get into that fight and you're not prepared and your ship gets heavily damaged and you have the ship after Azadi Prime where you're holding it together with duct tape and prayers, you've got to try to find a way to go back up against this thing again when you're not at your best and you don't have a repair yard. 
then what happens that, you know, let's say you find the station then or you remember it from before. Do you try to board that again and try to conduct repairs using it before that ship gets back? Are you going to just come at it again some other direction? Like there's there's a lot of ways to tip the scales in fun ways. All of those are really fun ideas. Then I do kind of like the idea of... Not so much the mad hunter. I like the idea of maybe a captain of this ship and maybe a crew that's loyal to this captain to the point of maybe you can turn the captain. Maybe there's something that's happened that they think that everything, like they've gotten supremely nihilistic. Mm -hmm. That the only thing out there is a good death. Right. That's what they're looking for. Well, maybe you can go with, sure, it's a rebellion. You're probably going to die. But this is a way to get a better death than just waiting for a bigger ship to come along and blow you up. Mm-hmm. Like, And then possibly trying to reason with them. That's a, the thing. If that's your main nemesis of your campaign, you can put a lot of personality into that character. And the thing to remember, too, is even if you're an Imperial captain, you've got your higher-ups who are giving you <laughs> orders that you may or may not agree with or go about in your own way. Oh, now that, that then hits a Ramius button for me. <laughs> no, I'm just sort of thinking after Alderaan, like footage of the Death Star blowing up Alderaan and then the Death Star's subsequent destruction have leaked out. Like that's that happened in Legends, that's happened in the new canon. That's something that happens. Like, I mean, the second one blowing up was huge propaganda for the Rebellion. But having a captain that sees Alderaan going boom at the hands of Imperials, for some, this is going to be a defining moment. Like, in some, it's going to be, this is some of the rationalizations that happen, and some people, this is going too far. Especially if, say, Captain was from Alderaan. Exactly. Now, they're in charge of this ship that was meant for... Or, another idea just, that just occurred to me, what if the original Captain was from Alderaan, and they got booted because there were concerns about that, and that's a potential resource out there for the PCs. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> that I like. And then having the new captain be a student of the elder captain. Yeah, the former XO. Yeah. No, that that is fun. And there's, a, there's a lot of ways to play with that. <laughs> and then uh, another idea that occurred to me, and we're finally going to talk about it some, Ben which is kind of our Star Trek discovery approach, you could, even for this campaign, flip the scales. What if you're the ones working on said secret tech of some kind? You're playing around with something, and you realize <laughs> that you're being hunted because the enemy has identified you. there's something special about you. That does sound like fun. And then you get into the sliding scale of... Uh, enemies, because you start off with something that's roughly about your size, like Say you mm -hmm. are on the Nebulan B that is a research vessel for the Rebellion. You've got this somewhat kooky commander that's giving really bizarre things I think you have to do. <laughs> we've got Saw. We've got... We have people in Star Wars that are at least as out there as Lorca. Yes. <laughs> like, they're trying to develop, hey, it's my favorite idea. Nebulan B has a pretty long spine. In Legends, we do have something called the Galaxy Gun. Yes. <laughs> Oh, we're going to go back to your giant st starship guns again. 
Yes, we are. Coming up with something, it would be unique and essentially a one-shot thing. Like, eventually you are going to be hunted. Exactly like you're saying. Like, okay, now we get into the second episode of Battlestar, 33 minutes. Yeah. Where after every hyperspace jump, they know where it's going. It's along the lines of Tanta 4, coming off of the Battle of Scarif. Mm-hmm. They have an engine problem that allows them to be tracked. So then the question becomes, can they get that repaired in time? You've got this special tech, whatever it is, a cloaking device for the Nebulum P or a spinal melt gun that just gives off this weird signature. Using this, the Empire can hunt you. Yeah. Also, it's one of those things that if you're going to play around with from that perspective, it's a great opportunity to hand the PCs a cool toy, but there's got to be a catch. Maybe you do like the Legends thing where the cloaking device is on, but your ship is blinded when it's on. How do you get around that? How does that impact your strategies? Or you have the giant gun. Maybe that thing has a ridiculous recharge time, like slow firing 10 or something, where you've got one good shot with this where you can maybe take out a, like a small star destroyer. But then once that's done, like if they've sent more than one ship at you, what do you do? Where do you time that shot? Now I'm going to go with a relatively obscure show, Babylon Crusade. They're in this giant mile and a half long ship that has three prongs and it has a super weapon on it. Yep. I've actually seen this show. It's the one Babylon 5 bit I've seen. (laughs) I like Babylon 5. I'm currently listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. It's a nice watch along. The thing that I'm thinking about, though, is that whenever they fire that gun, that ship is disabled. They have to essentially rebuild the entire power core over five, ten minutes and that ship is now out of commission. Mm-hmm. So you get this one massive shot that will do breach 10 and all this other fun stuff. Like, it will destroy whatever it's shooting at. But if there's any sort of support craft, well, you're a sitting duck, literally. <laughs> it's exactly what you're saying, though, is give the players something amazing, something brilliantly cool to play with. And then giving it a setback to it that is also, I almost want to go with crushing. It helps tell stories. Where It's a reason why it's experimental. Why they don't just put this on every Alliance ship where it's meant to be a, <laughs> you know, a trump card. And you've got to figure out the best way to use it, which is up to you know, the commander and the crew. It's also a very fun way to make even a, you know, if you're going to play around with, with these smaller capital ships, to give it some kind of more oomph or ability to go up against something larger uh, if it comes to that. Oh, exactly. And then also it gives the Empire a great reason to start hunting this thing. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, instead of you hunting the Imperials, they're hunting you through this nebula. You might have to make tough choices then. Like, let's say you do have your repair yard, again, since we flipped the sides here, to help provide supplies and repairs. Well, what happens if the Empire finds it? Do you try to evacuate everybody? Do you have to abandon it? Are you going to try to fight them off and hope that they didn't report its position? <laughs> Are you going to do something even crazier because you're the PCs and try to tractor beam it into a new location in the nebula? All of those would be amazing. That's kind of the thing to it, though, is thinking about it from this side, there's so much to it as well. There's sort of two sides to the Hunt for Red October analogy. One is you're trying to get onto the Red October and you're trying to get it over to your side. The other side is, you're the command crew of the Red October. Oh, okay. 
I think I know where you're going to go with this. <laughs> you are the command crew of this Imperial weapon. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's got this super shot on it. Let's go with the, my super cannon, because apparently I love those. Well, the Empire loves them, too, so it works. Well, yeah, like, it, it's a Death Star derivative kind of thing. Like, So, yeah, we've got this Star Destroyer-type ship that has a super weapon of some variety on it. It's a giant gun. It will one-shot any other ship. Okay. Then, you are the command crew of this. If you're not the command crew, like, you're really high up. You've got good access. And then you have to figure out, well, how do we get everyone off the ship? Like, this is something that cannot be given out because it is too powerful. Like, every now and then, there are some weapons that are just too powerful for those who do not control themselves. Maybe you are, like, your PCs are the group of Imperials who had second thoughts after Alderaan blew up. Exactly. And this whole thing makes you uncomfortable. Oh, it would be so beautiful, because, like, what's playing in my head, because I'm going to keep pulling Star Trek (laughs) examples, is, like, the Star Trek 3, like, let's steal the Enterprise. Yeah. Moment of, maybe you don't have a full crew, at least at start, and just your six PCs or whatever are going to try to take this behemoth of a ship out <laughs> to keep it out of Imperial hands. And you've got to lie and sneak your way aboard and then try to get out of there. And then immediately you're being hunted and you're just ill-equipped for this. And you don't even know where to take it to, say, give it to the Rebellion. Or maybe you don't even want them to have it. <laughs> exactly. Maybe you're trying to find a commander that you can feel comfortable giving it to. That also is a pretty cool idea. To go along with this idea, you have the skeleton crew idea from Strongholds of Resistance, where tucked in there is the uh, give a setback for having half crew, increase the difficulty once for having 25%, stuff like that. The idea is you're not running at full efficiency. Maybe when everyone's awake, everyone's on, you're down to just having a setback on every roll. But after that, everyone has to sleep. And if they're not, there's going to be all sorts of effects. Because you might have that 33 minutes example of (laughs) you're not getting that chance. And let's say you are just that strapped for like personnel that early on. Well, you know, what if before you can even find that commander or something, you've got to recruit a little bit. Maybe you bring aboard, you know, some mercenaries or something, but you don't want to let them know what's special about this ship. And it's just the big question of, why do you have a Star Destroyer? Uh, don't worry about that. Do you want a job or not? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. Maybe you do run across a small capital ship battle that the Rebels are losing and losing badly. It's just their ships are not blown up yet. Mm-hmm. Bringing in this ship into the fight, even in its reduced capacity, you can try and save the Rebels. Mm-hmm. From that, well, they've got to scrap their ships. Well, you can bring them onto yours. Like, you can't let them know because, well, you're not sure about them. Yeah, it's still early on. And they're probably not going to be sure about you because you're, I mean, you're ex-Imperials and you've got this ship. Why, again? There, there's all these questions and there's beautiful opportunities for role play, both with that initial distrust or getting to know each other, as well as even just that situation. If you're ex-Imperials, how are you going to feel the first time you fire on an Imperial ship? Are you going to feel comfortable if you were if the whole point was to keep this weapon out of their hands? <laughs> is it okay then to use it against them? As a adventure or campaign closer, is there going to be a situation where is it just going to be a binary of give the ship back to the Imperials or give it to the Rebels or have the ship destroyed or give it to the Rebels? 
Well, which is, uh, that's where I would lean towards it. I love like the idea of you realize you just can't trust it. And like you set the ship like on a course for like a sun <laughs> or something and you get off on a shuttle and watch it like get destroyed. I love that idea. One of the other ideas I have is the impossible fight. Yeah. Getting the ship so that it's going to fight well and then get it into a situation where it just, you have decided that the Imperials can't stay in their current form and you have to show to the Imperials that this was a bad idea to begin with. If you don't, they're just going to rebuild it again. I mean, that's kind of what Imperials do, apparently, like. bigger stronger that's what they did they didn't get the idea behind the first death star so they made a second one that's bigger possibly then they go and make a moon into it or planet like whatever and they don't get the idea behind an at-at as it gets taken down by little flitty things no they make one bigger with cable cutters like they just keep going bigger and bigger and bigger Mm-hmm. How do you make it so that this idea actually seems to be a bad idea to them and not just something that they need to grow? I'm also just imagining it would be very cool. I'm just thinking about the toys from the player's perspective. Because then with that <laughs> idea, you're not only getting the cool ship with the cool weapon, but then you get all these cool Imperial toys aboard. Because what would be stocked aboard, say, even a Victory Class Star Destroyer? How many cool things could they play with? The fact that they're going to mm-hmm. have TIE Fighters would be their starting <laughs> starfighters. What do you do with those? For better or for worse. Even in the smallest Star Destroyer, you have walkers that you oh. can land on a sh- <laughs> planet. Okay, now your players have walkers that they can mess around with. Ah, oh, just there's so many toys then. And it's it goes back to a little bit of our obligation episode where when you give the party something re- like it's it's more money, more problems. They get all these cool toys, but (laughs) the situation they're in is so dire, they need all of them. (laughs) Exactly. Like, it then becomes, so we've got all these walkers. What are we going to do with them? Well, we're going to lead the pursuers into a trap where we go through an asteroid field, put all these walkers on asteroids, Mm -hmm. and then try and blow them up with the walkers. Because, well, that seems like a absolutely crazy idea to do and yes i'm absolutely stealing from the clone wars i'm gonna play in this campaign now (laughs) (laughs) that's one of the reasons why it's been butting around in my head like there's a few ideas to it some of it is just turning this ship into a really cool ship and okay here's here's one of the ideas i kind of am coming back to with it is yeah, I've tossed out a few ideas. One of the things that I really thought was relatively ingenious about the Red October idea was simulating a reactor breach, making it so that no one wanted to be on the ship. Mm-hmm. That it was a better idea to scuttle the ship and make it blow up instead of having everyone on it and having it fall into enemy hands. If you're wanting to take a look at it from a bit longer perspective, having a small ship like the Krellian Corvette or a Pelta class as you're a starting ship, you see this giant ship that you know is destroying rebel convoys, and you're able to get yourself brought aboard for whatever reason. Maybe you've got someone kind of like Captain Nemo is going around being something absolutely against. This is someone who has turned, and you see the potential of this ship, and you obviously know the need because you're in the rebellion. Maybe you try and turn it. Maybe you don't. But maybe you try and take the ship. You could fit both both campaign ideas together almost. 
one and then the other. Okay, well, now we have the ship, and we must now do something with it. Thank you, Christine, and thank you, listeners, for indulging me in this idea. As a campaign, I've got a lot better of a thought on it, and I hope that some of the ideas that we've been throwing around and some of the uh, Age of Rebellion ideas have sparked in your mind. Like, please do send us feedback on some of the uh, ideas that this has come up with for you. My takeaway is... Give the PCs a capital ship to play with because this can only go go in new directions. <laughs> My actual takeaway from this is <laughs> tailor what you're presenting to the players for what the players are actually going to have time for. So if you've got this really cool big idea, blow it up into a full-out multi-session adventure. If it's going to be a one-shot, keep it simple. Keep it tight. Looking at the data module in the Purgle's main cargo hold, it slowly twists as a personal force field holds it in place. No, that isn't right. Maybe if we try this... Zzz, uh, apparently not that either. This isn't an Imperial design. I know how to get those. What could this be? Sulking in the corner, I can't help but watch as Ben tries to unlock the data module. You know you're going about that all wrong. It looks like a Trandoshan code to me. They use base 6, you know, because... And I hold up my hands in a crude imitation of Trandoshan Claws. Join us for another scaly tale from the Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and you can find me on Twitter at Twelfth Night. That's 1-2-T-H Night with a K. And you can find me at Deuterium Ice. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about on the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. Our podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can find more episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing the show. Drop us a holocom at tales at thehydeanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash thehydeanway.